Yo, stories matter. Not just any stories, but our stories. Stories connect us to ourselves, to one another, and to the rest of the world. Stories don't just connect us, it is these narratives that possess power to create a more loving and just world. Here at the Stories Between Us, we are a place where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways. As we tell our stories with candor and courage, imagination and joy, we create better stories together. And maybe one day, a better story can be told. I'm Modi. I'm Stu. And this is the Stories Between Us. Yo, welcome back to another episode where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways. We have an incredible opportunity of being joined by our friend Maya Marshall. Maya is a native of Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, who has been surrounded by artistry and creativity her whole life. I mean, Maya is a social worker in a middle school with predominantly African-American students. Uh, where she noticed just low self-esteem in many of the students who lack confidence in academic success. It was then that Maya realized the integral role that she shared in uh, celebrating children of African descent and telling a better story. Yo, Maya, what's up? What's, what's good? going on, man? How y'all doing? So good. So good. How's your day going today? It's going. It's going. It was, it was long, but... It's it's almost it'll be over pretty soon. Yeah, you know, yeah, worse. You know that seems like the um that seems like the mo right now. It feels like everybody is saying, "Yeah, I'm just ready for this day to be over." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. I mean, we're not only you know going through coronavirus right now, and I mean we're dealing with the news of George Floyd, we're dealing with the news of Amy Cooper and just all these crazy things right now. So, I mean, Maya is actually, you're actually in Minneapolis right now, right? Minneapolis, yeah. Minneapolis. See, I yeah. I always get names wrong Man, we practiced places. this, Ooh, We practiced this. <laughs> we did practice <laughs> this. Okay, let's say it slow real quick. Help me out. So wait, so Minne- it's not it's not Indianapolis. It's not like Indiana it's, or Indianapolis. It's just yeah. mini, like the mini apple, Minneapolis. Yeah, Minneapolis. Okay, nobody actually broke it down to me like that. Yeah. <laughs> See, learn it, learn in space, learn free, new every free, day, open, right? yes, transfer of information. I love it. <laughs> yeah, let's go, yo. So, you know, I, 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 I want to start with the question that we normally start with, you know of every episode, but I think, you know, just with everything that's going down, I would love for you to kind of paint the picture of the scene in, in, in the area, uh, Minneapolis right now, what's going on on the ground. Uh, to be honest, unfortunately it's pretty familiar because this isn't the first time Mm -hmm. this has happened here in the city. So, Mm -hmm. uh, what I can recall first, I think it was, I don't even remember the year. It might have been 2014 or 15. We had Jamar Clark. Um, yeah. He was killed by Minneapolis Police Department. And then, you know, later on in 2016, we had Philando Castile. Mm-hmm. He was uh, killed by Falcon Heights, which is a suburb, Roseville, of Twin Cities uh, Police Department. And then uh, a few days ago, we had George Floyd, who was again killed by uh, Minneapolis Police Department. So um, mm. 
obviously tensions are really high. However, um, I was, uh, kind of, I was, you know, talking to someone today and it made me kind of hopeful just because, um, they said that this is kind of, um, a good sign, but I, you know, we should never get our hopes up, but that mm-hmm. the officers were just fired period, like no administrative yes. leave, nothing like that. Yeah. Um, so they were fired right away. Um, and I do really commend our mayor, Jacob Fry. He's really, really cool. I've met him a few oh, times. He was lit. Yeah, he seems really down, like for real, not like not just for the camera, but before, like just mm. really into what we had going on in our community. And so and then our the the chief of police, Chief Arredondo, he's a uh, he's black. So mm-hmm. um, that is like it's hopeful not to say that, you know, oh, we're going to get justice. We we never know. I'm not even yeah. that optimistic about it. And I'm usually pretty optimistic because, you know, it's literally a record of us never getting justice. Right. Mm. So, you know, it could be different. We, we have some good signs, but of course the city, you know, they turned up last night. Um, I didn't, I chose not to go just like I chose not to be on social media today, just because I literally mm. was like, just flooded my timeline. I could not scroll anywhere without seeing it. And mm. I refused to watch the video mm. Not yeah. because I can't handle it, but because I just choose not to. Like, I don't want to subject myself to trauma. Like, it's like a self-inflicting yep, wound. Like, I don't have to watch it if I don't want to. So I refuse to mm. watch it. I made the mistake and watched the one of Philando Castile, and I will never be the same. Mm. So I will never do that again. I will never watch uh, someone get killed by a police officer. Yeah. Um, wow. So, yeah, that's just what it is. You know, people are protesting. We have a really huge Black Lives Matter uh, movement here. Um, and they are super lit. Um, I got, I I know like a few photographers who have posted on their IG. I did scroll past to see that today, which I was happy about. Like their photos were Mm. lit. Like they were so good. And then Mm. they like, people were actually protesting like socially distant and it was really cool. Like they weren't all up on each other. Like when they were like before the protest got turned, like turned up. They were like wearing masks and they were like doing their thing, like just standing apart from each other. So it was pretty cool to see. So, yeah. This is such an interesting time in society. Like mm-hmm. the whole coronavirus thing, everything, you know, police brutality. It's so, um, I actually want to go back to a small nuance that you did that I've seen on social media recently the argument of. Um, and this may be a little off track, but I think it's relevant. You started to say African-American when you were referring to the police officer. Oh, you caught that. Yeah. yeah. And then and then you switched to black. Can you tell me about that? About that? that uh, because that I argument? feel like African-American, that term is almost like a code switch, kind of like when you get in front of mm. audience. And I made a vow like years ago that I refuse to code switch anymore. Like however I talk is how I'm going to yes. talk. And that's just how it's wow. going to be. Um, mm. So, yeah, I caught myself because, yeah, I'm black. I don't care. Like, I understand that black is a color. It's not really, you know, the color of my skin, whatever I identify. I prefer to be called black, you know, and I, I don't have a problem with African-American, but I feel like that is just black is just so raw and it's just so loud. Like, yeah, I'm black. Like, oh, I'm African-American. Like, I don't want to be politically correct. I just want to, I'm black. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's interesting that you say that because I think the term African-American for a long time, there's such a concept of trying to be so politically correct right now, when in reality, there are things that are happening that aren't correct in, in, any, in any fashion, right. whether it's politically, morally, socially, no fashion. So mm-hmm. if you seem to not be able to handle what 
what's happening in society right now and you choose silence over anything else, then why do I have to censor myself to make you Mm. comfortable? Yeah. Mm. Mm, That's so good. And I think, you know, one of the, I I, I vibe with that, you know, I, I, I vowed as well that, yo, I ain't about to use African American. Like I'm, 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 I'm not only black, but I'm like hella black. Like, Mm -hmm. like, and I think, you know, to, to, to be, to say that we're black in this world right now with the way everything is going, you know, that is not simply, you know, a political statement that, you know, we have, you know, we, we, we are a people who deserves attention in this society. But, you know, even for me, I say, you know, that's a, you know, a, a religious and spiritual and theological statement that, you know, to say that I'm black in, you know, an anti-black world is to say I got dignity despite uh, the tragic dimensions of oppression, you know, yeah. that, that, that confine us. And I think, you know, this is what's so important about your book that you wrote. Uh, if you would, I would love just in some sense, what, if you could help us just go into your story a little bit, what, what really made you uh, write your book in this moment right now? Like, like why, is 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 this your your book your hue looks good on you you know what really yeah what what was the reason for writing that right now in this moment for you so ultimately it was probably god and just divine timing just that's Mm. just what i decided to to produce at the moment but it came from uh my grandmother she uh turned 88 on april 26th and she is happy birthday She's the best uh, storyteller that I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Um, I actually dedicated mm. the book to her. And mm-hmm. one one thing that I like to do, um, and even like in, in music that I write or in literature, uh, is challenge my reader. And usually my audience is young, so I want to challenge them and um, challenge their vocabulary for them to be able to build it. So I use words that they aren't going to read in a, in a children's book so that they can ask questions or go look it up. So um, I, I refer to my grandmother as an eloquent raconteur. I refer wow. to her yeah, as an eloquent raconteur, which means she's just an amazing storyteller. And so um, that it was so cool because uh, I, I, I took her story. So really, Your Hue Looks Good on You is uh, basically a derivative of a story my grandmother told me about growing up in Mississippi. She was ashamed of her skin color. Um, she mm. is very light skinned. And so they would refer to her, you know, as high yellow, all kind of names that she told me they would call her. Um, she actually looks white. My grandma, she's, uh, she's, she's very light skinned and she has a uh, white hair, you know, uh, just from old age. And so she mm-hmm. said that, you know, she would go to school and she would have it bad on both ends. The black kids would tease her because she wasn't dark enough. The white kids would tease her because she wasn't white enough. And so she just mm-hmm. felt really left out. She, long story short, she took, she has, my grandmother had 10 siblings. No, it was 13 of them. So she had 12 siblings. Um, she took her dad's shoe polish bathed herself in it, just painted every visible part of her body, painted it with the shoe polish. She said she went in front of you know her family on the porch and she said, oh, everybody fell out laughing at me. They was falling off the porch laughing. She said, you know, my mama, she was looking at me all strange. She said, I just knew I was going to get a whooping. She said, but my, what my mama did was, she said, it, it was better than a whooping. Like, I would never forget what she did. She said, as she scrubbed her, 
she just told her like, you know, what's wrong with you? She said, you are the color that God intended you to be. You look good this mm-hmm. way. This is how you're supposed to be. And it just really left a mark on her. Uh, and she said, so after, you know, she got scrubbed clean, she said, you know, you know, what's worse than being a high yellow colored girl. I said, well, what granny? She said, being a gray colored girl. Cause that polish didn't come off for a week. So <laughs> I was like, wow. wow. She said, so I learned to love, she said, I learned to love my color after that because I didn't want to be gray no more. I didn't want to be gray. She said, but you know, uh, and she said, but even then she said, you know, that it's still, although she learned a valuable lesson, it still scarred her for life because all her life she wanted to still get away from that complexion and she said so she married a dark-skinned man she said i married the darkest man i could find so that my kids wouldn't be yellow and she said you know what Mm -hmm. god did to me i said well what Mm -hmm. he said well he laughed at me because she said my oldest daughter is lighter than me so my aunt (laughs) is like you know she's like but my grandmother has my grandmother had eight children she had three sets of twins my dad and they're all boy girl my dad is a twin he has a twin sister. And so like all her kids are different shades or different hues, but like, you know, she, her goal was to have all dark, but it didn't work out that way because that it wasn't intended to. So that's where I just, that's where, you know, that story came from. And I feel like, um, I was fortunate enough growing up to, uh, even though I grew up in Minnesota, which when you even say the word Minnesota, it just sounds white. Like, I, nobody believes mm-hmm. that there's black people here. Literally every single time that I go anywhere else, people find out. I just tell people I'm from Minneapolis and maybe they don't know that it's in Minnesota because they always <laughs> say, oh my God, there's black people in Minnesota. I'm like, yeah, you're looking at one. So um, I was fortunate enough, although, you know, I think there's the, the African-American population in Minnesota, I think it's like 13%. However, I grew mm. up um, in on the North side, which is uh, really um, in, in the city. Um, and went to a uh, all black school. So uh, from the time I was in preschool till I was in uh, the fourth grade, uh, went to all black school, black teachers, black principal, mm. everything, wow. all black. Mm. So that's all I knew. They mm. were really big on black history and they were really big on instilling pride into black children. So yes. I thought that that was normal. It wasn't something that I had to go seek or somebody had to just, you know, come and find me to tell me like that was what I was around. Like my mom, pro-black, like she used to, her job, she worked for a nonprofit that took black kids to Africa every year. She went to Ghana mm. 12 times when I was growing up. My dad went to Ghana, all these things. So we had African artifacts in our house. We had, you know, mud cloth, kente cloth, everything that you can think of. Like we were like super black always. <laughs> right. So I felt like, you know, growing up, when I finally went to a public school, uh, it was very like, it was very life-changing. I did not understand, you know, I never went to school with anybody Asian before. We have a really huge Hmong population. Uh, Hmm. They're from Laos, I believe. Um, We have a very huge Somali population. Um, Obviously, Hmm. we have a huge white population. So it was super diverse. I've never, you know, my teacher was still black in fifth grade. But then when I went to sixth grade and then all throughout, you know, the rest of my career in school, my teachers were white. You know, so it was really it was a culture shock to me. And so um, I think that really fueled my passion to instill that pride into to black kids, like black kids who weren't fortunate enough like me, you know, growing up in Minnesota that got that black experience growing up. They really they need that and they lack that. And that's something that I've seen. And so I was like, I definitely want to do something about that. Mm. Long story long because it wasn't short. That's a great story. 
It doesn't matter yes. the length. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good story. So speaking of working in a middle school, how important do you think it is in this time right now where publicity is so big and all of these acts are being seen by children like as as they're growing? Because when we were growing up, we we heard about it, but we didn't have access like um, literal mm. fingertip access to it, to graphic videos, to you know, riots to to things happening. We heard about it. We learned about it, but not so much um, immediate exposure to it. And just like you said, um, you refuse to watch videos now, right? Because you refuse to give yourself that trauma. How is how do you feel that trauma is going to affect the children in later on in their life? Oh, uh, it's totally. Uh dehumanizing everything that we were kind of taught to fear. Like we weren't supposed to like gravitate toward violence or death or blood and guts and all that Mm. stuff. You know what I'm saying? And that Mm. is just totally normalized now. Uh, I rarely come across kids who are like just super distraught. Like the most distraught I've ever seen a kid was when Trump got elected into office. And it was, um, Mm. uh, it was, Mm. it was a Mexican student and she was afraid that she was going to, you know, her family was going to be sent back to Mexico. Right. Like that's the most fear that I've ever seen a kid have. But like you say, oh yeah, they just killed another unarmed black guy in the street. And kids are like, oh dang. Like, oh, uh, y'all, y'all go, y'all gonna protest or what? What's up? Like, that's all. Like, mm. there's no mm. kind of emotion attached to it just because that is what they are used to, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. Wow, that is so real. You know, I was a uh, middle school teacher and teaching religion in middle school. And, you know, that's something that I came across so much. I'll never forget one day I uh, decided to do a different you know, exercise for them. Uh, I said, okay, we're going to have this like courageous conversation. We're going to take, you know, random pieces of paper and, and write down questions on it and you'll give them to me and I'll take them over the weekend. And then Monday morning, we're going to come back and I'm going to try and answer your questions as best I can. Yo. And I thought that like, I I thought that the questions were going to be like, you know, relationship questions, like, you know, questions about like, you know, (laughs) different things. And like, I don't know, just like normal things that we think Mm -hmm. are quote unquote norm should be normal for their lives. And, you know, like, I never forget reading this. Like I opened up the paper and I read the question and the question was, does God hate black people? Mm. Wow. Does God hate black people? And then there was another question. Like, why does God allow the KKK to be the KKK? Mm. And there was other questions of like sexuality. There was questions of, you know, their own personal struggles of, you know, I had kids, you know, who are struggling with like eating and, you know, having food on the table and home problems at home. And like, yo, like the the world that our children are growing up in today, it, it no lie, it is, it is incredibly depressing. All right. Like, very, very, trust me. I'm a social worker at a middle school. So the kids are like from like 10 to like 13 and 14. I see it all, mm. heard it all. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So like, that's why when I, to be honest, when I'm not at work, I don't really like to talk about my job just because I leave it there. Like, 
I just mm. be like, yep, I'm a social worker. Yep, that's it. And I do mm. all this other stuff. Like, this is what I do. So, yeah, but it, it's, it was, it's a blessing. It's a blessing, though, to be in that environment because I feel like they've fueled a lot of my creativity. Also, mm. it's like, you know, uh, I think it has an expiration date. Like, you can only put yourself through so much. Like, that's a traumatizing mm. job. First of all, working with kids, mm. they're just traumatizing in general. But working with troubled youth, like, that's the social worker's main goal. You know what I'm saying? Is to connect mm. people without resources to resources. So, I definitely feel like it has an expiration date. Mine, I'm pretty sure I could, I could, I could smell it. Like, I thought it was last year. However, I was still there. But don't get me wrong. Love, love the. I love the the, the scholars. Love them. But I just feel like for uh, just various reasons, like there's a there's an expiration date. Why um, Why did you decide to to choose um, that line of? Uh, you just said that you didn't like talking about it, but why? No, why the, did the story you, why of why I chose that. Though, that's, uh, that's really easy. Uh, actually, like everything else in my life, I it was totally not me. Like it was God. Like, yep, this is what you're gonna do because I wow. never planned this. I never wanted to be a social worker. Never cared. Never even knew really knew what one was. Um, mm. I have an aunt who's a mm. social worker, and she'll tell you like, oh yeah, you following in my footsteps. No, it just so happened that I was uh, working at the University of Minnesota after I graduated in a lab, a child development lab. Um, I had a professor, her name was Dr. Ann Mastin. She told me, well, you know, you've been out of school for about three years now. She said, anybody that works for me, they have to either be, um, they have to either be a doctoral candidate or they need to go to grad school. So I'm like, yeah. oh, well then what do you think I should do? I don't know what to do. Cause I didn't plan <laughs> on ever going back to school. She said, well, oh, yeah. uh, she said, you work really well with the families that we work with. Uh, you would make a good social worker. I said, okay, what I got to do? She said, well, apply to the school of social work. I'll get you in and I'll pay for it. I said, oh, okay. Wow. And that, that was it. Like, that's how I became a social worker. Wow. That's so lit. That's an amazing oh, story. Goodness. Yeah, it is. So yeah, like that, that's an amazing I, I, story. Yeah, that's fire. So, yeah, wow, you have so much. And so you, 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 you talk about you know your story and your grandmother's story, and just how it, in some sense, impacted you in writing a book. You know, we love to start with this, and I guess it kind of fell a little bit later. But I think you know it's just a good spot to talk about this. It's like you know, a lot of times I heard, many times I heard it said, you know, if we want to understand who we are today, then we can go back to our childhood uh, to understand those seeds that were planted in our lives. And I think, you know, being a social worker who works with kids, you see that you see, you know, those blooming seeds that's mm -hmm. being planted, those seeds in yep. some sense of creativity and, you know, you know, comedy of, of, of beauty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I would love in some sense to be invited into your story so our listeners can hear you know, what were those key defining moments in your life, you know, whether it be your grandmother, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, your professor, the, uh, the professor saying, you know, you, you need to go to grad school. What were those key defining, defining moments in your life that allow you to understand who you are today? Uh, well, I mean, I, that pretty much summed it up, uh, being able, that Black experience that I've had. 
uh, just growing up. And then obviously, you know, my grandmother, uh, my grandparents in general, uh, my, you know, my paternal grandmother, uh, she's still living. That's the storyteller. And then um, my mother's parents, they have both um, passed, but they were just phenomenal individuals. Like my Mm. grandfather was like the first black superintendent of schools in Savannah or, you know, uh, Mm. my mom's from Georgia. So just a lot of really just, I've been blessed to be around like a lot of giants, like my whole life. So I've had like I've had great examples basically. And so what I aim to do, what I feel like is my purpose is to really be that for kids who don't have it. Um, I think like church played like in like the hugest role in my life. Like you learn everything in a black church. Like I've learned how to speak in front of a crowd. Yeah. That's real. You learn how to speak. You learn how to pray. You learn how to do anything. Like I, I had to be an usher. I was in a choir. I did all of this stuff. Yo, did they give you the gloves? Did they give you the white gloves? Yep, we had the gloves. I was like, (laughs) one time I was just looking for stuff to do in the church. I felt like I wasn't doing nothing. And I asked, like, where do y'all need help? They had me back there, like, talking to people before they get baptized. I was like, whoa, like, this is definitely not, this isn't my area. So I'm not going to do this anymore. So, but just like everything, though, like, uh, Everything, everything that I've ever done in life has prepared me for like this very moment, and just um, mm. I, just just good a good foundation, like just knowing how to act. You know, when you get in front of people, making a good impression, um, but also being yourself and being proud to be yourself, and that's that's where that comes from. So, like all the kids that I work with, I definitely try sometimes like most of the time intentionally and then sometimes even intentionally like unintentionally i'm sorry i'll plant seeds like i'll see them mm. you know do just doing like little stuff and i'm like where you get that from they're like oh yeah i seen you doing this i'm, I'm like okay wow somebody's mm. watching me so let me let me do let me do something right yo that's incredible um you know just your story of growing up in church and you know what those lessons taught you? Did, did, did you grow up Pentecostal? What, what what denomination? So I was born Kojic. So, you know, once they, you know. They, oh, you, Lord. You, Praise you born Brinson, in, You know, all right, no. But I grew up non-denominational, though. Like, I've only, I, went wow. to, I grew up non-denominational. And then now I'm a part of the apostolic church. But I'm actually thankful for being non-denominational because denomination was never, like, a thing to me. Like, it was yeah. never big. But now that I'm a part of an apostolic church, they're a part of, like, a Pentecostal assemblies of the world. World, so the PAW and it's all these conventions oh, and yeah. all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, okay, if I go, I go. Like, I don't really, I don't, I don't care. It's, it's never yeah. been about that for me. I just, I love yeah. my bishop. I love my church. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. PAW, they fire too. Oh yeah. They super fire. I just, I just yeah, never been into it. Like, yeah. 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 That's crazy. So we saw each other. When was that? When was that? That was like, uh, when did we see each other? It was like November, December ish. Yeah, might be yeah. November, December. Yeah, yeah, might be November, December ish. Maybe even and October ish. Like might, one, might, of, what, one of those. Three I months. actually was in Cali. I was in Cali in like okay. October. So, so it might November, have been December. December. Okay. One of them. Yeah, it might have been November, December. And where was that? Um, in, where was that in Georgia? Yeah, yeah, okay. that was in Georgia in Augusta. Augusta, Augusta I remember yeah. that. Okay. Wow. Y'all, y'all's pastor. Year. What's your pastor's name? Uh, Charles Goodman. 
hey, that man is cold, okay? Like, he is cold, right? Not even, not only was his message amazing, but the, the fact that he did it five times back yes. to back to back yes. to back to back, that was exactly. insane. And then the fact that Kiera followed him singing as hard as she did back to back, like that was a crazy day. We were dog tired after that. And we had to drive that, I, to Atlanta. I, I, we had to drive to Atlanta. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Hold on. So y'all flew in. Y'all we came, flew into y'all Atlanta, song. drove to Augusta. Uh, we drove to Augusta. We stayed there. And then, yeah, after that service, we were supposed to go back. But we ended up, like, we. I think I, we definitely crashed. Like, I know she was knocked out because I think she was kind of sick. So, yeah. But we yeah. drove to Atlanta that night. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm interested. So how did you and Kier got got? How did y'all? And what's the story there? Uh, God again. He uh wanted yeah, me to. He, yeah, he wanted me to um meet her, and so mm. I was. I'm I'm a Karen Clark Shear stan, right? And I don't even say this to Kiera because I don't want them to think I'm a weirdo, but I'm <laughs> a stan. Okay. All day. Uh, grew up like breaking VCRs with her VHS tape because I kept playing it. Anyway, naturally I became a Kier Sheer stan. And you know, mm. I've just been a fan of hers her whole life, our whole life. Uh, she came to Minneapolis for a big production that gets put on by the senator every year. Uh, she didn't have anyone to uh, accompany her or assist her. So they were like, oh, mm. can you be her point person? I was her mm. point person and we kicked it off, um, literally kicked it off like we known each other for years and that was just wow. the rest of it. Yeah. Yep. Like that. So that was in December of 2017 or 2018. And then that following July, she actually hit me. She was coming back to Minneapolis. She hit me up like, what are you doing? Like, uh, you know, you want to, you want to come, you want to help me out? I need some help. But and I'm like, what, <laughs> what? <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. And we just been rocking ever since. Like that's, that's my sister, man. I, I definitely thank God for her and appreciate her. You know, it's yeah. funny. I have four, um, four really, really good friends. And even, uh, even Dante's wife, Jasmine, I call her my sister as well. But I have four really, really good friends that I've known for a long time. And I also mm-hmm. always refer to them as my sisters. To kind of close out this, this conversation, how important do you feel it is that those connections are to our stories? How important is it that that you have someone that stands, that stands you and everything that you do and supports you like that? Um, and really that you feel that that God led you to to as as a part of your story. Man, uh it's it's critical, Modi. It's critical. Um I, I I don't I don't even know where to this is that's a lotus really convoluted it's a convoluted question it's loaded it because I'm, 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 so I'm gonna keep it short though I'm gonna keep it short though like you literally are who you who you're connected to like they say mm. like it's super cliche like you are who you hang around whatever but you really really are uh, I was in this oh the another so Kiera was supposed to come to Minneapolis uh, she missed the flight. It was bad weather, but anyway, we mm. had a. It was like the event that I still went to the event that she was supposed to be at, and the speaker she uh, talked about something that I'll never forget. She was like, you know, in life you need ones, twos, and threes, right? She mm. said, now your threes 
are the people that you you don't even want to pick up the phone for them. Like they they really your fans, you know. They 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 actually mm. cheer you up and they make you feel good when you're having a good day, but you're not really connected to them because you don't really know them like that. They don't have access mm. to you like that. Uh you them them the kind of people, you know, if they were to call you, you know, hey, I don't know, they probably want something. I don't know if I'm picking up the phone, whatever. Those are your threes. Then you need your twos. Twos are people who are pretty equal to you. You guys, you know, kind of balance each other out. You know, maybe you're strong in one area, they're strong in another. However, you wouldn't like go to them for life advice because they struggling just like you, or they in the same predicament as you, or they on the come up mm-hmm. like you. Then mm-hmm. she said you have your ones. Those are the people that you want to be around. Those mm-hmm. are your mentors. Those are the people that have been uh, where you want to go or who who are at where you want to be, you know, and those are the people that you should aspire to be around. And when she said that, it like struck a, a chord. Like it was super, I, I know it was like super uh, ordained for me to be there and to hear that as well as probably everybody mm. in the room. But I had been going through a period of like, dang, like, am I supposed to be connected to this person? What's going on? Mm. Whatever. Anyway, literally soon after that, uh, I got to, I, I started traveling the world with a freaking superstar and just being able, just being poured into because I always felt like I was the friend that was doing all the pouring. And like, I was literally like, I was like, where are my ones? Where's I one? And then God blessed me with literally Mm. a number one. Like, Mm -hmm. and it was, it was crazy. Right. And to be, to have that feeling reciprocated, like she feels Mm -hmm. the same way. And then just to meet, just making different connections. Like people always want to talk about, you know, their day ones or no new friends, but I I don't, I don't agree with that. Like, I believe God, you're, you're connected to God wants you to be connected to, to be connected. Sometimes it's for a season. Sometimes it's a lifetime, but you never know when Mm -hmm. they're going to come. Like I'm 32 years old and I've made a friend for a lifetime, you know, just at the, at this age, you know what I mean? Like we didn't grow up together, although we kind of feel like we did, but it's just, I feel like those connections, um, the ones that are divine, you'll know it. And Mm. those are the ones that you want to, you want to stick to. Man, that's so good. That's so good. Mm. And they, they, to tie it back in, like they, those connections make your story. Like I would not have a story if it wasn't for the people I was connected to. You took the words right out of my mouth, Maya. Oh, right out of my mouth. (laughs) Let's go. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Stories Between Us. This is the place where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways. You know, there are many podcasts that you could have listened to, but we thank you uh, for choosing this podcast, this episode with our good friend, Maya just absolutely incredible. Absolutely Yo. incredible. I appreciate you. Man. Yo. Yeah, that was Make a divine sure connection. That was a divine connection we made right? when I met you in Augusta. It, See? It was crazy. That's crazy. And we, next time we're going to have you on, we'll talk about that a little bit even, more. Even, to make, yeah, even the way we met. I told Modi. I told her like it was so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was so <laughs> yeah. crazy. So crazy. So thank y'all for joining us. Make sure you go and purchase Maya's book, Your Hue Looks Good on You. Let's make sure that we support this sister and support her story as she tries to tell a better story today. Yo, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Remember, this is the stories between us, a place where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways. Let's tell a better story together.